Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. What's up, everybody? My name is Indy, and this is Indie Game Business. This is welcome to the March 2023 Indie Game Business Conference. This is our first session, and I really would like to say thank you so much to Tripwire Presents for being such an amazing sponsor and sponsoring us through, throughout this whole journey here. Uh, so without further ado, I'm going to let these lovely people introduce themselves, and then I'm just going to hang out in the background and be paying attention. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining today. My name is Carla Reyes. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm a founding member of Code Coven, which is an accelerator for underrepresented talent within the games industry. I'm joined by my lovely panelists, whom I'll allow to introduce themselves. So, Cassia, if you'd like to go first. Sure. Um, so I'm Cassia. My pronouns are she and they. Uh, I am the founder of Current Games Agency. I help indie game studios with business development and business strategy, uh, particularly in the VR space um, uh, recently. I uh, also am an advisor to various different games funds. And my background generally is in business development and, and investment in the games industry. Thanks, Cassia. You? Hi, I'm uh, Yves Leibank. I'm Chief Content Officer at Focus Entertainment. Uh, I started in the game industry around 25 years ago, so it shows a bit here. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm in charge right now of the Publishing and Acquisition Department at uh, Focus. Hello, Amazing. everyone. And, and sorry for the background. You might see actual real-life people from a publisher, like walking around, etc. That's good. We're immersed in the action. I was going to say apologies for the orange tinge. Like I, uh, it's six a.m. for me, so you might see the sunrise as, I, as we go through the session. Um, but yeah, thanks everybody for joining. So uh, the topic of today's session is preserving and promoting art through austerity. So really, just trying to take a look at the current state of the industry given the broader, you know, economic state. In that there's been a lot of turbulence lately with mass layoffs and. Um, general shifts in the broader gaming ecosystem and really want to understand, you know, how we can continue to preserve innovation and ingenuity through this and understand what investors and publishers are doing to ensure that we are still taking some risky bets um, and, and what that looks like. So I've, you know, invited uh, you both, Eve and Cassia, because you each have unique perspectives and positions within the industry and have uh, overlapping experience both within publishing and investment so I'm, I'm excited to sort of pick your brains around this topic but I'd like to start by asking each of you just generally about trends that you're seeing in the market so you know which genres and types of experiences are you personally bullish on or are you seeing um, investors being more bullish on um, and are there yeah any any genres or experiences that you're seeing publishers and investors skewing more toward. Um, maybe we'll kick it off with Cassia. Sure. I mean, it's, it's quite a, a big question because the games industry is really large and there's lots and lots of different types of publishers and lots of different types of investors. And generally, these publishers and investors have their own specific theses or focus. So you'll have pub some publishers that focus on strategy games. And uh, I, think, I think Focus has a special focus as well, which I'm sure we can talk about. Uh, and then investors, uh, they can sometimes be focused upon letting game content or anything but game content, etc. So, um, yes, to to 
in terms of like drawing overall trends, I guess on the equity investment side, um, just in like the last six months, you've seen a massive decline in interest of blockchain games and then a massive rise in interest in AI. Um, so companies that are using AI, I guess, um, in terms of uh, the the industry generally, yes, you have seen um, a, bit, a decline since the kind of bubbly period of a, a year and two years ago. Uh, so you're, I think generally there's a bit more caution out there, uh, but there's still a, a lot of money has come into the games industry uh, in that kind of bubbly period that still has to be um, still has um, some left to, to to doing investment. So they are continuing to um, uh, to have uh, you know new new investments in games and new investment in companies continue. Uh, I don't think there is a particular case of specific genre. I would say, I think in terms of platform, um, the reason I'm focusing on VR at the moment is because there's a lot of um, a good funding going on in VR for different platforms that are looking to have uh, uh, for their platforms. And it's been relatively easy to get uh, indie game studio funding in, in that festival. Um, and Yes, I think uh, the PC console side is very, very, very competitive. I think uh, for PC console, you have, uh, I don't know, um, you could probably talk, talk a bit more about this, but um, you have publishers like Curve Digital that get 4,500 pitches a year. I mean, your average publisher gets a lot of pitches. Uh, so it's very, very um, competitive on, on that end. And then there's so many games, good games coming out on Steam, getting harder and harder to stand out. Uh, so yeah, uh, <laughs> things are interesting in the games industry uh, from the investment publishing side. So Thank you. No, I appreciate that holistic insight. And you're right; it's 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 important to delineate between what's happening on the equity investment side versus the the publishing side. So, Eve, are you able to speak a little bit to well, maybe both, right? Given your experience, but perhaps more on the publishing side. Given yeah. Your, um, one quick thing on the. Um, Briefly on the equity investment M and A, etc. Uh, so obviously there's a slowing down on the M and A thing, with a, especially with everyone watching what's going to happen with uh, Activision, Microsoft, etc. Uh, so like a moment of tension there, and a slowing down of the uh, acquisition madness of everyone is buying everyone. Uh, on the equity side, we're seeing a bit like a slowdown, like the the two COVID. Years uh, doesn't mean that COVID is down, but uh, the, the, the two first years of COVID, it was like it was player spending, etc., craziness, and everyone was very positive and excited. Now it's slowing down a bit, and and investors are a bit more cautious uh, and and spending less. Uh, so big names in investment uh, uh, from from the east of the world uh, recently uh, notified some of the studio they invested in that they're going to slow down uh, and not put and add more money uh, to them. So yeah, in terms of investment, it's, it's slowing down a bit. In terms of publishing, it's not. Uh, and uh, we are seeing less uh, new publishers uh, spawning every day as uh, we, we saw one year ago. But as Kasia was saying, uh, the it's clusterized uh, on some genres, like notably strategy games. Uh, I'm, I'm counting eight active and successful uh, publishers, very specialized in strategy games. So that already tells you as uh, developers that it might be a successful genre or niche uh, if eight publishers are already uh, managing to, to leave out from the genre and to, to make and to sign games from that. Uh, we are seeing probably a bit uh, the the some triple A publishers declining a bit, but it's more a personal opinion here. I think it's it's more like an economic cycle as we saw in the at the end of the 80s, end of the 90s, like the big names from these decades uh, turning and changing, and so the 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 what Atari, Microprose, or or the the ones from the 90s shifted towards new players in the 20,000, maybe the, the big AAA players from publishing in the 20,000 are shifting to new players like uh, 
current game agency or focus or uh, potential uh, new players for, for the next uh, decades. Uh, but th the thing which changed a lot is that it's globalized market with like millions of players audience from Latin America, from Africa, Southeast Asia, etc. So it's less one success that brings everyone together and everyone is playing the same game, even if you have like Elden Ring, etc. But uh, there are less games like that that brings everyone uh, and it's more clusterized audience which explain also why so many different publishers everywhere with specialized expertise uh, so player-wise it's very great to see that everyone can gather and find your own unique game and 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 uh, guilty or not guilty pleasure uh, attended and catered by specialized publishers the so i would say that's a major trend it's globalized but clusterized at the same time Thanks for that. That's really interesting about the clusterized audiences and just uh, piggybacking off of that when you're reviewing or evaluating studios or projects and uh, they're considering target audience to be quite niche. Is that something that you would consider more opportune or, or riskier per se, right? Because now we, as the, you know, as the market is saturating and ballooning and we're having new types of gamers and players coming in, um, how do you assess that and how do you make sure that we are still um, addressing these newer audiences? Oh. Okay, uh, first, by making games that address in terms of characters and identification, in terms of topic, in terms of narrative, in terms of representation, uh, so changing, uh, not only to do like diversity washing, but also to actually talk to uh, players uh, from from different audience, etc. And uh, we're seeing more and more games like uh, what Outer Loop is doing, for example, uh, or uh, the Wagadoo Chronicles, or games in that space that are addressing what could be considered years back as not profitable, but uh, I'm, I can bet money on how to loop games, I'm pretty sure it's going to be, I know it's great, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be profitable. Um, so yeah, the first thing is address this audience uh, by uh, identification, narrative, tone, uh, setting, uh, art direction, etc. Thank you. Cassia, do you have anything to add on that point? I mean, in terms of uh, new audiences, uh, yeah, I think there's definitely if you're looking to uh, represent diversity, authenticity yeah, is, is really critical. Um, and it doesn't have to be in your face. Um, yeah, it's, I think that in terms of game genres and looking at game genres uh, from an investment point of view, uh, one of the pieces that generally comes in uh, from an investment's perspective is, you know, how is this genre performing? Is it kind of growing? Do you see a trend of games releasing in this genre? Um, doing better and better or has there kind of been a lot of recent releases which haven't done so well which suggests that it might be saturated genre um, understanding the genre in, inside out if there is a sort of established um, a game genre and uh, it gets more risky when you don't have similar games to really point to so. That makes sense. Thank you. And actually, on the note of when you don't have the comparable benchmarks, what do you recommend to, you know, indie studios that are looking to pitch in the absence of this market data? Um, have, and have you seen um, some pitches that are, you know, just more focused on the, the content rather than this, um, the market trends? Because, you know, as a, as an, you know, indie developer, most people are trying to look at what's saleable, right, to some extent, but how do you strike that balance between the, the originality versus following the market trends? Either you or the, the The first thing is, um, you, you, we are publishers or investors, we're not creators. Uh, you're the developers in the studio. So it's supposed first to be your vision, which means you need to have a vision and not necessarily um, out of the market and the trends, of course, it needs to be validated at some point, but before being validated, before confronting your vision and your ID, first have a vision, um, which is very important. And it's, it's really part of the thing. Um, a lot of developers and studio often think that, oh, you told us that feedbacks, we're gonna to totally change our game based on your feedback. Please 
never do that. Uh, this is your game, your vision, you're the creators. And uh, it's part of the dialogue between investors and publishers to, for you to stand, of course, listen, but of course, but also to, to stand by your vision and, and, and not uh, sell it. Uh, so first have a vision, then confront your vision to uh, experts, investors, publishers, uh, VCs, etc., audience, uh, benchmarking, and then the cycle goes on and you will find uh, money from publishers, investors, etc. But first have a vision, then confront it and don't do the opposite. Don't, don't do, and that's part of the trend every publisher and investors are receiving right now, don't do a vampire survivor ripoff uh, because just one brilliant person uh, succeeded in doing that game. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's very annoying from a publisher perspective <laughs> when um, a developer just like follows your feedback too closely and like I can't make your game for you um, so I, I, I always recommend to developers that just take publisher feedback as data points that you know if everyone's saying the same thing maybe they're right if they're saying different things then just follow your own gut instinct really um, is what I, I, I generally recommend. Um, and other ways that you can de-risk a risky game um, for a publisher to, to help a publisher or investor become more uh, confident in investing in your game. I think there's two ways. So I think firstly, um, when I've got like my investor hat on and I'm playing a demo of a game which is really innovative and unique and the demo really blows me away then and it's I can sort of feel the fun of the of the of the game uh that massively de-risk it for me uh and then uh a second way which you might want to try uh and look like certain indie studios are using this with great uh this tactic with with great um results uh, like Stray Fawn Studios, for example, is just looking for early market validation. So really, really early on, just putting out into the internet, into TikTok or into Twitter, um, your sort of games description and concept art and just seeing what kind of traction that gets. Uh, the, I mean, uh, you have seen like first time studios getting publishers flock to them because they've created a really awesome looking trailer of, of kind of faked gameplay for their game, that kind of thing. If you thought if, if those kind of early stage um, uh, like material gets a lot of attention on the internet, that automatically you can point to that. To publisher and be like look um there's clearly a market so and then it's also good if there's no interest or it doesn't if you try multiple times and then there's just like no no real uh engagement by players that kind of shows that you're maybe looking going down the wrong route and you should try something else so um, just just adding one quick thing old from publisher perspective it's a double-edged word of putting your game out there before signing with someone. In case it, everything goes well and you have huge numbers, then, of course, every publisher on the planet will uh, come knocking at your door and saying, oh, hello. Uh, but if for whatever reason, and not necessarily um, related to your game, maybe it's a choice of assets you chose. Maybe the game is great, but you, you pick the wrong asset to communicate or the wrong message or the wrong audience to communicate to, uh, you will have bad numbers uh, in terms of audience, which might uh, freak out publishers in the end and like be double-edged word. Uh, so I, I, I would be, maybe it's a publisher hat, but I would be a bit more cautious on uh, putting your game out there unless you do very tailored niche, like if you're making a, very strong hardcore RPG, maybe yeah, going to RPG Codex, yeah, uh, publishers won't be uh, worried about that because it's like your hardcore niche. But putting on TikTok, Twitter, etc., like larger audience, if you have bad numbers, it doesn't necessarily mean your game product is bad. It might mean that you picked the wrong asset, the wrong communication, or didn't found your core audience first. Thank yeah. you. That's that's an interesting point. And I actually wanted to address um, what you've both uh, touched upon now in terms of having 
some marketing or promotional materials or playable prototypes or even trailers. As far as this content, I've seen some nuance in terms of what publishers and investors mandate, right, when when you're um, going to pitch. So how important is it to have a playable prototype, um, especially since that often requires investment already, right, um, for a studio? And then um, in the absence of that, like, are you still considering um, you know, these studios and these projects, even without the, the demo that's going to help you find the fun. Right. Well, I think if you think about it from, if, you, if you've got like a PC console uh, game that you're making uh, and you bear in mind that publishers are getting thousands of pitches, a lot of which will be terrible, um, but, you know, if you're a publisher and you've got, uh, you've done a sift through your four odd thousand games and then you found like maybe a hundred of those which actually look really promising um what which one are you going to do which one are you going to follow for more interestingly uh, be more interested in would be the pitch with a demo or the pitch without a demo uh there's like a an element as well for um demos or playable prototypes to uh, indicate that you can actually make games, you can actually create. So there's that kind of part of the due diligence also checked off. Um, so for really competitive markets, it is um, pretty necessary for demos, at least in my experience. Um, but in less competitive markets, like the VR side, like MR, if you're making an MR game, um, yeah, it's conceivable that you could get it potential funding from, from concept only. That's fair. Thank you. Eve, do you have any um, I would say it depends, which <laughs> might not help. But let's say, for example, uh, Larian comes to us with only a pitch deck, saying yeah, we, we want to make a CRPG. Yeah, we're not asking Larian to validate <laughs> and to prove that they yeah. know how to make Yeah. So it really depends on the studio background, etc. Also on the game genre, uh, if, you, if you're pitching an MMORPG, uh, which means like huge progression, uh, end game, etc. We're not obviously not asking you. Yeah, give us the entire progression and the end boss, uh, etc. Uh, because yeah, if you can reach there, you don't need a publisher probably or money at least. Uh, so it really depends. And 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 I would say two examples. If you're making a game with no drastic like innovation and change, you're making a very uh, conservative in terms of gameplay systems, game design, but your core USP is the art, then yes, uh, what you need to, to showcase to publishers will be how unique your art is. In that case, yes, probably no one is going to sign without your core promise but if you if you're making a pixel art game which in the end so the art isn't the the core promise but the thing is your systems then uh, having like ugly gray blocks whatever prototype showcasing the uniqueness of your game mechanics totally fine even if it's ugly yes completely that makes sense thank you um i'm actually uh, curious about this uh breakdown between you know, existing features versus innovation um, coming from the mobile game space. I've, I've heard about some formulas like you should create an experience that's 80% um, existing mechanics that players know and understand well, and then 20% innovation. What are, what are your thoughts on, on this? And I'm, I'm mindful that this will be nuanced again, depending on where within the games industry, you know, what type of experience you're creating, but um, maybe Cassia from your experience in VR, and then um, Eve, if you want to address the AAA specifically, um, just curious to, to see. That's such a mobile games okay. approach. Like just, yeah. you know, put it down into the exact numbers. <laughs> yeah, innovation yeah. can be measured exactly. by. Exactly. You know, oh my gosh. Um, but there's a kind of, element where that's kind of correct and then another one which i hear more from the pc console industry another truism would be um like a really significant uh, a significant twist on something familiar um as an approach uh is also attractive uh, the reason why people recommend you know having like a sort of core base of something familiar and uh, innovating somewhat but not too much um, is because occasionally because when you innovate a huge amount um, 
like first of all sometimes you are ignoring solutions that other games have already found and you're reinventing the wheel when you don't have to uh it, it massively also increases um the risk uh, the production risk because it's really hard to pull off um innovative games and make sure that they're fun um so uh, having like a core base of something familiar is is useful, and and then lastly, from a, a marketing perspective, is useful because uh, a lot of people, you know, people's time, people's money is really precious and limited. How do you persuade people to um, put money down for something completely new, like utterly, like they don't know what it is, um, kind of level of new? That's really hard. So you have like a base of something familiar, then it then it then they're like, oh, okay, I like that kind of genre or something uh, and oh this but this kind of fresh part, part of it sounds really interesting so that kind of mixture can be good uh, and then of course if you completely copy something really conservative like what's the point uh what well, how is that attractive to a player unless uh you know why when they just play the original game you know um it, it, it sometimes it's not enough uh, for them to to be attractive to to players so that's why that's why people say, okay, about 80% or 70% or, you know, have like core base of, of familiarity and like a significant innovation, like a twist or innovation on top. Um, yeah, we, but then with, yeah, you're seeing in VR um, with, there's not, well, VR games are, are, are actually, you've got enough data to know what works and what doesn't work to some extent. There's a lot of blue ocean in terms of what you can um, innovate with mechanics. And then with MR, which is the focused mixed reality, which is the focus for Meta, for IT, a lot of platforms this year, no one has any idea what works. So they're just sort of throwing money <laughs> at anything that looks interesting. So, you know, it's, um, uh, there's, uh, it, it does definitely varies um, depending upon the context of uh, the kind of games that you're making. Um, so yeah, that's what I think. Thank you. I appreciate that, at least on the MR space, you know, that encourages experimentation. It's just, yeah. how do we know until the money runs out? But, you know, it's like, <laughs> we'll see, right? <laughs> yep. See, yeah. see, throw things at the wall, see what sticks. Exactly. Um, as well, then great. <laughs> And then you start and you're like, okay, so more, more money things like that looks like that in that space. Yeah. Eve, do you have any thoughts on that, you know, breakdown? Are there any formulas that you think make sense? Regarding uh, well, the, the first formula is contrary to, to mobile, which makes sense uh, somehow is triple I, double A, triple A is uh, surprisingly less data driven than mobile, uh, data aware, yes, but less data driven. And um, there is no like recognized formula for everyone, but the, the personal one I am trying to use, but less in a rigid way, but more in a organic way is uh, uh, 30, 30, 30, 10. 30% uh, of like established, okay, you're making a CIPG, you know, you need to have that. So, so, exactly what Kashi was saying, not reinventing. 30% of proven, established, etc. 30% of your own studio recipe. Uh, we're making GRPG and we're adding that from our core uh, expertise, etc. And then 30% risk innovation. So that it's still limited, but uh, we're uh, at the crossroad of entertainment and technology. So we need to innovate. If not, uh, we're dead. And uh, uh, so 30 percent and ten percent craziness. Thank you. No, that makes sense. And and how do you distinguish between innovation and creativity? Like, is innovation thinking more ahead as to okay, what's five years down the road, or uh, will there still be an audience for this? Um, versus creativity is you know something that's timeless. Um, just curious. Question about the question. God, um, <laughs> okay. this, this is a bit more existential. Also a list of questions. Okay. <laughs> I know, um, I know I've, I've thrown a curveball because I'm, I'm personally <laughs> curious about this. Anything you've seen, if you can draw from examples. I mean, I, I, I would say creativity is maybe more rooted in the personal, um, you know, expression sort of side. So, uh, you know, really based upon your own personal experiences and and uh, drawing upon that to create something new. And then innovation is maybe more technical and based upon existing things on the market and uh making like a really radical 
differences from that, maybe. <laughs> Putting myself on the spot. No, there you I go. appreciate that. I, I appreciate that response because I, I would have thought something similar as far as like innovation, um, following more of like the technological trends or what you know what we anticipate for for the future to some extent. Um, yeah. Eve, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would go more towards like a split between invention and innovation. Uh, invention is you can have the greatest idea in the world. But if no one knows about it, or if, if there is no practical uh, appliance to, to that application to that, then no one knows who invented the fire, uh, like for the first humanity. But we do know uh, we have traces, archaeological traces that are around when and where. So we don't know who invented, but we know when and where it was used as an innovation to cook, to defend, etc. And I would say that's what draws the line of you can have the best idea on your own, but if knows about if no one knows about it and there is no practical application, then then that might be great. But it's you you're a sole inventor somewhere. You're an artist, not in a bad way, but like and again, entertainment and technology is video game. Uh, so innovation is the practicality of creativity, if you say, or practicality of innovation, being able to translate and uh, into words, into to, to translate your mind towards others to make it applicable. Indie game business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all the speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, to me, I sort of interpret that as, well, for lack of a better term, commercialization to some extent, right? Like having a market or an audience that will, uh, you know, consume what you're creating or will, you know, as you say, practical, practical application. And on that note, then, as we're seeing some shifts in the broader industry as far as, or just digital society in general, right, with notions of the metaverse and the way that um, people are consuming content and interactive media is is changing. Like, how um, how much are the the games or projects that you are um, you know investing in and looking at addressing this new type of audience um, or thinking about you know like I've seen um, demographics now of the popcorn gamer. Like, are we thinking about people who are just watching streamers at this point? Is that something that's being considered when you're evaluating pitches or, um, you know, as people are inundated with, with content, the TikToks of the world, right? And, and thinking more about shorter form experiences. Um, is that something that you're seeing studios uh, consider? And is that something that you are investing in as well? I mean, play segmentation. Uh, yeah, I am. Um, uh, God, this is like a big question. I mean, um, it's uh, that, yes, and I have actually looked in play segmentation a lot and I have uh, thoughts, um, which uh, is quite hard to summarize in a short amount of time. Uh, <laughs> um, do I think that players should think about player? like segments. Um, I think that developers should think about their players. I think they should have a really good idea of who they're making this game for uh, and understanding what they like um, rather than just making a game for themselves, uh, which you do occasionally come across. I think it should be partly for yourself um, because otherwise you have the, you don't have the, the, the motivation uh, completely. But uh, I think that if you don't have a player 
players in mind when you're making the game is going to lose out on like things like almost like accessibility um or how do you see how does how's a person completely new to your game going to to view it or how do they understand it how do they get to grips with the controls and systems and all this sort of thing um and why is it really entertaining them like you know your game is entertainment so um really thinking about that the player from that perspective and and people are different so people like different games and hate other different games like i'm really competitive and i'm also really well coordinated so i hate multiplayer online get shooter games because i just get killed and i can't get any better and it makes me really sad but i love strategy games so um it, thinking about like what like would you make a strategy multiplayer online game shooter would that wouldn't appeal to me but um, you need to be thinking about the sort of person it does it would appeal to, and what they're like, and how, uh, what sort of uh, like where where do they live uh, in terms of like online? How do they get to know about your game, and and uh, how does your game fit into their lifestyles, kind of thing? Do they is there a particular platform that they use, etc., etc., etc. And also bearing in mind that. Um, this stuff is dynamic as well. Uh, it changes, uh, and you may also like find that there is a you know type of person that you don't have no idea, but really is into your game, and you can you know figure out how to target them a bit more um, uh, effectively. So yes, uh, <laughs> fluffy answer, but um, that's how I kind of uh, think about. That's how I advise studios anyway when they think about player segmentation. Um, thank you no that's helpful eve do you have any thoughts on that um yes kind of same things marketing tools marketing guidelines player segmentation are very useful but they're tools so there shouldn't be rules uh to abide by uh it's like polls and surveys if nowadays if today someone asks the entire player population on the planet do a survey which kind of game would you like uh we're all going to be making mario Kart forever <laughs> uh, and I'm not sure that's how our industry will, will evolve. Um, so yes, player segmentation is, is a nice, useful tool. It should give you uh, insights, uh, some directions to follow or not to follow, but shouldn't guide you only or like uh, drive you only. Um, also, don't don't blindly follow the tr like the trends of oh i'm making a pixel art uh stardew valley like but yeah it's streaming and TikTok. so yeah my game is going to be streamable and tailored for TikTok. Mm, i'm not sure especially with top down view hats uh yeah it's it's fine if your game isn't following the nowadays technology or streamability or whatever trends uh it's if you acknowledge that you might lose part of the audience there, but if it's again your vision, your creativity, then that's totally fine. Don't don't uh, compromising just to be uh, modern. Sometimes uh, be modern just to address the existing audience, which is two different things. Thank you. That's helpful. And when you're evaluating some of these um, projects and and studios, if if they are focused more on the creativity, on the ingenuity, what are any potential red flags or um, what would you, you know, consider as a risky, potentially risky investment, right? Because if, um, it, you know, there's the simple concept of, okay, well, this studio has deeply considered the market, there is a product market fit here, potentially, so that might be less risky. But if you're saying what you're saying, right, like, maintain the integrity to your vision, um, what are yeah what are you you know because that sounds nice in theory but i want i want to know if that is actually if it, where, where the, the dollars are being invested yeah if you manage to convince investors and publishers while keeping to your vision it's already a very good sign uh, because we, we are harder than players we, we're harder to convince than players so if you manage to convince us while well, staying to your vision then that's already a good sign that yeah at some point there will be players hmm. i think um it also i mean what uh if you're taking the approach of like how do i get money to make my game uh and but making my like you know my, my vision of the game um which I generally recommend because rather than think about how can I make like what 
kind of game can I make that I can get funding for? Mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of am usually able to tell from a mile away by the genericness usually uh, <laughs> of um, games that have been devised to get money out of ones oh, out of, you know uh and uh, it can be kind of hilarious one sometimes you, i remember like okay, pitch deck which had just on one slide blockchain <laughs> ai <laughs> vr that's it just those words just like come on um yeah so um, no nft <laughs> oh yes <laughs> i think it was a pre-nft yeah. i just remember it um but yeah it's um i think that um uh like you kind of almost look like having like integrity and a vision of your game is really important uh and it's more likely to get your game funded but at the same time um you can so, sometimes you, you can just know that like a, a your game studio's vision is maybe too niche or like they're proposing something really expensive and it's just not proven that the player base that would be interested in it would could support it or you know are they willing and interested to spend the amount of money that the, the, the price that it, it, it deserves um that kind of thing um so um bearing in i think it's important for studios to sort of bear in mind the overall kind of market kind of bear in mind the what players are wanting and liking but having like a vision that kind of, you know, conveniently fits um, <laughs> with, um, in, I think there's other people could have lots of different ideas for games and making sure you're probably focusing on the game idea that you have, which is like the most business friendly is, is the best way. The game that you want to make that's the most business friendly, I think is, is one approach that could, could work best. That's actually an interesting point, because if um, a studio is pitching for, let's say, equity investment rather than publishing and maybe mm -hmm. considering like multiple projects, like would they like have you seen some studios pitch, um, you know, multiple projects at once and say, well, this is the one that will be potentially more commercially viable and will fund the more experimental one. Right. It's like or maybe we have some a, a license to an IP and we can use that and. And then we'll we'll um, we'll do the the more artistic project afterwards. Um, have you seen that at all? Um, somewhat. Uh, uh, you do occasionally get that. Only problem with like I think um, pitching multiple games is is it feels a little bit dilutive um, and uh, maybe a bit confusing. Uh, if you're at a, if you're on the publishing side and you're at a games conference and you're having back to back pitches um like having that one more extra pitch can uh, and then splitting the time in half can just be a bit damaging from that perspective um so i wouldn't necessarily massively recommend that i would actually be more like yeah have those two different pitches but then research who you're pitching to first mm -hmm. and then pitch and then the one which is going to fit with them better um, rather than pitching everyone to pitches in my opinion yeah that makes sense eve have, have you seen that at all is that um it's so from the pure investment perspective it's it's great again to have a vision and an identity so having a studio saying our first game for realistic reason will be not the, our dream game will be like conservative we need to be to prove that we can deliver on time quality on budget that there is an audience for that and our second game will be but we're not pitching it to you right now just to give you transparency on where we want to go so for investments it's interesting to have that mm -hmm. but as Kasia was saying not like pitch two three four game at the same stage uh, at the same time just having a, a perspective on where you want to go is nice but uh seeing you prioritize is very nice and pitching one game is hard enough work so pitching two games is, is just uh, you know, mm. really make things really tricky so. that's fair that makes sense um slightly non sequitur but still on the n notion of you know evaluating pitches and the criteria that you're you're looking at i've I've heard um, from some publishers that sometimes, uh, you know, within a portfolio, you might want to invest in a project or studio that um, will gain popularity or perhaps be an award-winning 
um, you know, project as opposed to profitable? Um, and is that something that, you know, you've seen or considered in the past? And I know that's difficult to anticipate, but um, just curious around that. It's, uh, so as publishers, we have to build portfolio. Uh, so it's one strategy to build up a portfolio. Some publishers are very dedicated, specialized experts in one genre, and so uh, it's, it's, it's a bit easier. But uh, building a portfolio mean, means also uh, finding game that you know almost for sure will bring sufficient uh, money to, 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 to foster uh, employees, etc., and also a bit of extra cash to do the risk on some of the games. So yes, that's part of the portfolio strategy. But one thing we want to avoid is, uh, oh, it's just for the image. We, 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 we don't, uh, we're just buying an image out of a game, like a public image. It's very, I would say, um, be careful with publishers who are going that road because what you're looking for in a publisher or investor is support, of course, money, but also support and expertise. If people are there only to buy a public image and communication tool, then will you be getting the, the sufficient level of support and expertise from publishers or investment side? That's one thing. But yes, uh, it's more about having games that you know will allow you to go the extra road, the, the, the extra miles uh, on more risky game. It's more on that sense of than the, the, the opposite of just buying a shiny indie darling that's fair thank you Cassie. yeah i think that um uh, i think it's quite unlikely um for for a, an investor or publisher to do it just for the prestige um it's not necessarily impossible like um actually when i was uh, for, for chinese publishers like sometimes there would be but even even then, there would be a limit to how much they might be willing to take a potential loss. Um, so it's really rare. Um, but I think, again, actually, you don't always know from a, as a publisher or investor what games are going to be successful sometimes. You're sometimes you're like, yeah, this game could do really well or it could not find the audience. And I'm not really sure yet. Um, it's a great game, but like, it's an audience for it. Is a question mark above it um and you might want to take you know if you if you're in a, if the publisher and investor is in a position to do so then they might decide to take that risk um but otherwise yeah the the the, the better risk to take would be on the one the on the game which is more like as eve says like you know you know is going to make money um and make some profit so the, the, the one thing if i might add is the, the one case where we might like acknowledge the risk losing money is betting on teams. Uh, meaning very often publishers and investors, of course, we're, we're signing one game, etc. but sometimes, we, always, we're signing with a, with a studio for many years. Even if it's for first game, uh, that's very important criteria for both ends. You need to be, wanting to work with these people for many years and sometimes yeah we, we like uh, falling in love with a team in the studio saying okay they're, they're incredibly smart uh we want to secure them somehow and be working with them on their next more ambitious game etc so yeah on that first game maybe it's like the risk is incredibly high maybe we're going to lose money but these people can 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 do incredible things in the future so that's might be some some cases where we might want uh, to to take some risks there. I appreciate that, and that's what I've been observing as well. As far as um, the investment ecosystem, people betting more on talent rather than a specific project at this point, especially if you want to establish a long term partnership yeah. with the developers. Right, that makes sense. Um, so, just a final question before we open it up to questions from the audience. Um, again, thinking about broader industry trends, but we're seeing a lot of um, transmedia opportunities come up right at the intersection of film, television, games. Um, and so are you seeing more of that in some of the pitches that you're getting? And, and how do you feel about that? Is that something that you're considering when you are evaluating pitches about the potential um, just IP creation and, and what the opportunities are beyond the scope of just games? 
Yeah, on full focus and clearly yes. That's out of all the industry buzzwords, if there is one we are supporting and believing in, it's this one, Transmedia. Uh, so we announced the Black Tail TV series, uh, we're doing things with Star John game, it's, it's clearly something we believe in, and it's also part of Focus DNA of uh, looking out for games with unique arts and visual identity. So it, it only makes sense. So yes, we strongly believe in that. And uh, unfortunately, we're not seeing as much games uh, with transmedia ambitions as uh, games with uh, blockchain, streaming, TikTok, whatever. So please sense more with transmedia potential. Mm, I think it's it's quite, transmedia is really difficult to pull off. But I think you're now let people there's a, enough success stories that you can learn what actually does work uh, and you can sort of see uh, yeah so so narrative heavy games can do really well with like the last of us with the translators to tv and and um uh with maybe with like open world games you need something more based upon based in the world that's with a new storyline what have you um so uh, yeah, transmedia is is interesting. It's just very difficult, and I think you need to be thoughtful um, pitching that as well. Yeah, if you've got those ambitions, thank pitch you. Pitch to, to the right partner. Pitch to pitch to focus. <laughs> Go straight to focus and pitch to them. Yes, so that that makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much, um, you know, Cassie and Eve, for the insights that you've shared. I know that we covered a lot of topics in a short amount of time in, in broad strokes, but I I hope that the audience has um, has learned something and has something to take away from this. I, I certainly do. And um, now we can open up to questions from the audience. So All right, questions. We We've got questions. Uh, so here's the first question. This is from VCD Gamer. This was way early on in, in this. Uh, what what if the game I'm trying to pitch is a fusion of two unfamiliar genres in a way that is actually fun and balanced? In other words, a new attempt at a new genre. And oh, here's a question right here. And he goes on, or they go on to say, my game is a fusion of Metroidvania with Undertale-inspired gameplay and choices, or an Undervania. That's a pretty cool name nice. for it that so what, what tell us a little bit about that yeah that can work i think um so i guess the one that comes up close quickly to mind is like the crypto and necro dancer which sort of you know <laughs> did those kind of zelda games but with uh with a rhythm based combat which is amazing um so uh yes that can that can work well but the problem is that sometimes it is there is some risk involved because what happens if you're matching to matching uh genres um which don't have an overlapping player base then like potentially neither of those um, players will be player bases will be interested because they don't like the other kind of game or maybe they will be interested because they just like that kind of game uh it's 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 one of those ones where you're like good work Let's actually play the demo and see if you if it's actually really fun. And there's a complications from a game design perspective when you're mashing mashing towards you know mixing up two genres. Um, so uh, you the you'd have to do quite good due diligence in terms of yeah playing the game. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think uh, under under Vania sounds like it could be interesting. Could work as a as a, as a mixture. Yeah, it's. I might be like French biased, but it's a bit like in a, in the cuisine. Uh, chocolate is good, whipped cream is good, uh, caviar, maybe foie gras, maybe whatever. All are all these are great ingredients, but if you mix them together, it's probably going to be terrible and, and awful. I don't so know, it, chocolate, caviar, and cream. <laughs> that or maybe might just be like good. Cream. That might be good. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, what about like uh, you think like sea salt and caramel? Come on, right? like you wouldn't uh, think that they. But that would like, make it. No, it's like this crazy idea of having pineapple on pizza. It's like <laughs> I like pineapple. Oh uh, my gosh! You know I have them. I have basically the ability to ban people. Pitch it to the I right could, people. I could I could take you off this screen so quick. <laughs> no, actually, I'm not a big fan of pineapple. But, but and, yeah, on yeah it's it and then the important word in the question was uh, in a balanced way uh -huh. uh, so if it's balance plus what Kesha was said on on targeting the audience uh, yes but it's very very hard 
to 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 deliver so you need to fine-tune and, and do the proper alchemy uh, both on marketing and content side and to make it work right it's like like in french cuisine. is it fun right <laughs> that's what it is is it fun if it's not fun then yeah. okay here we go a question from discord with the lack of affordable tools like steam db for mobile games how should we go about estimating sales or downloads oh god don't do mobile games <laughs> well i mean so uh, okay so mobile games um it's really hard to get investment for mobile games at the moment because of changes uh to uh the privacy um policies on apple side means that the classic sort of ua driven marketing a business model is really broken and a lot of mobile game studios are, are scrambling to figure out how to market their games now so they're kind of going down the kind of pc console style branding route a lot of them or like there's actually there's a lot of focus on ip existing ip getting that's how you get new eyeballs there's licensing ip um uh but uh oh yeah and like premium game mobile games also tend to do really poorly um it's just really it's a, it's it's difficult in the mobile space because it's really like a distribution getting attention problem because there's i mean you think steam is crowded like the google play the app, app store are massively crowded there's so many games on there and uh, how do you stand out? How do you get your players to find you? It's really, really hard. Um, and even like, you know, prior to the privacy changes, um, mobile game studios, their budgets for UA were in like millions, millions, like much more, much bigger UA budgets than the development budget. Uh, and you'd really have to have like a, a you know, a UA publisher. Um, but that that's kind of not really answering the question. Uh, to directly answer your question on mobile, um, and how do you guess? Um, so yes, the current um, sources for uh, mobile games, like sales and revenues, like those are very expensive, like data.ai and stuff. Um, but you can if figure out uh, somewhat um, from say the number of downloads um, or the number of reviews, for example, um, there you get some ballpark um, answers on the the app stores themselves. They often say, "Oh, there's been you know a hundred thousand downloads of this game or ten thousand downloads of your game," and you can kind of get a clue from um, uh, from that um, how how those. Um, uh, how, how those are doing uh, with uh, and that's a bit easier to guess um, for premium titles uh, for anything free to play whether it's a mobile or um, PC console you can only kind of really guess the ownership you can't because the monetization makes a massive impact upon the average revenue per user um, you can have some games which have massive user bases but don't make that much money because they have very light or poor monetization and you have some games with a relatively small user base but they, the ARPU is massive so they actually make really good, huge, decent profits. Anyway, so yeah, sorry. Thank you. No, I was just <laughs> I say, just yeah. to add to that, um, there are some other um, mobile game data sources like Sensor Tower and Game Refinery and they'll publish free reports sometimes if yeah. there's any sort of benchmarking that you need there might be something in there as well we've got one more question and can you tell me the names of those again that you just said carla oh sure um sensor tower and game refinery i can write them down and uh, game uh, refinery yes okay and app annie as well right? you know what will you just text me those in discord later <laughs> okay one more question this is the final one this is from flat voxel coming from youtube what if the game is mostly conventional has some innovative gameplay aspects but has some twists later on that significantly add to the experience how much of that should be in a pitch for the publisher all of it all of it bam that was easy there you go yeah. Yeah, there you go, flat voxel. we need it's it's a like uh, it's a bit like the, the 30 30 percent rule I was saying. Uh, you need to convince us that okay, the 30 percent of non-innovative like traditional is there and you can deliver it. 
that you can twist it a bit, so which also means that you understand the, the genre sufficiently to, to twist it, and then convince us to put money for the risk, risky part. Yes, I can't, I do know one thing, don't put 10 pages of lore into a pitch for a publisher. Oh yes, <laughs> thank you so much for that. Don't put lore in there, you can, you can yes. the lore is later. The lore yeah. is later, right? Get the, the gameplay stuff first. It's, it's well, very common for like a new game developer to get really obsessed about the law and then mm -hmm. be like, oh, the, the, the key interesting thing about my game is the law and I'm going to put it right up front. And you know, I'm just like, it is not proven that people will be interested in this. And it right. also requires quite a lot of time investment uh, by people to get into the law. So actually you need something much more surface level that's really like instantly attractive uh and then if there's great law behind it then awesome but it's yeah you've got to have like the moment to moment gameplay first down yes yes like i i mean i i'm not really into the lore of, of games personally right like fortnite is an amazing game and it does have lore but like doesn't really matter right yeah. dark souls another thing great gameplay and there's there's awesome lore but i just skip through that stuff has anyone ever bought <laughs> a game with like new ip just the law. I don't think that's even possible. That's that's another uh, thing. Don't fall in love with your ideas. Oh, that's such a rough run, isn't it? It's such a rough one. Like you have this great idea, and then it, it just gets off. I think with existing IP, and then you're saying, oh, you get to learn more about the thing mm -hmm. um, and you, in detail. That would well, work. But if it's not, if it's new, what yeah. you were talking about that was interesting before we go is the, like the mobile game market is so flooded. The new Tomb Raider, Raider game came out, bam, and it was like all over the place and whoop, and then it just like disappeared, right? You don't hear about it anymore. And it's the new, it's a Tomb Raider game. Yeah, it's pretty difficult. Mobile, it's, 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 there's so many it's games out there. So tough. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you all so much. This has thank been you. amazing. Thank you for being the very first, uh, first talk in the conference we got another oh. conference coming up um johanna's coming up uh let's see what does it say here about how gaming can be a powerful tool for economic progress in the global south that's going to be interesting so yes thank you all so much thank you everybody. thank you we'll be right back up here in just a minute Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.